recording. So Kristen has Audible and she gets a couple of free books per month because of our subscription. Um, I'm just going to keep holding this up so it's burned into your brain. Um, I'll probably just teach like this. I'm just kidding. So, but I, it has nothing to do with the book of Ruth. I don't, I mean, really, but I was listening to it on the way to seminary and this book has already completely impacted my life. Uh, we learn a lot of theology, but, a lot, but it's hard to learn Jesus's love for us. Like, I can tell you that I love you and you know that fact, but it's different. Like, like if, you're, if a parent tells you they love you, that's one thing, but to actually feel that hug, you know what I mean? That's different. You can't teach that. This book is about that. Um, and I think it's what we need now more than ever. It's a short read. It's only, I can actually tell you, it's only uh, about 200 pages and you can, and it's, and the chapters are really, really short. Um, so you can almost do it in a devotional way if you wanted to, but I, I promise you, once you start, you won't stop. It's phenomenal. Um, give it some thought. And if it's a book that you really would like and you think you would want to take a swing at, I mean, obviously you can get it on Audible and just listen to it. But if you want to like read it and live it, like I'm listening to it, once I'm done listening to it, I really think I'm going to want to take some time this summer and just sit in it and read it and get my pen out and do it that way. If this is something that you think you would want to enjoy and be a part of, um, uh, let me know, shoot me a text and we'll get it for you for free and we'll ship it to you. So just let me, it's called Gentle and Lowly. If you wanna do any research about it on your own. This book is so good, guys. I'm even thinking about having a small group just for it next semester. Um, like we read a chapter a week and we talk about it separate from our Thursday night Bible study and Sunday school, obviously. But it's, guys, I'm serious. It's that good and it's that helpful and filling. Um, it really is just about, like the love of Jesus. And it makes you feel that like, not just learn it. It's absolutely tremendous. So anyway, gentle and lowly, uh, without further ado, let's finish the book of Ruth. We are in Ruth chapter four verses 13. Cam is excited. I can see it. Ruth four, 13 through 22, 13 through 22. We'll take it a couple of verses at a time. Remember last week while you're turning there, um, Ruth and Boaz. So Boaz went to this nameless uh, kinsman redeemer who was actually closer in relationship to Naomi than Boaz was. And the guy has no name and he doesn't want to do it, which is why he has no name. Um, he, in a, in a book that's all about preserving names, this guy decides not to do it. So he loses and he, and he doesn't do it because he's afraid that that sacrifice is going to cost him his name. But really, the fact that he didn't do it is what has cost him. So Boaz is given the legal right to marry Ruth and redeem the family through a kinsman redeemer. And now we kind of see the conclusion to the story. And it is just as rich and wonderful as the rest of the book. So we'll take it a couple of verses at a time. Um, Cam, if you don't mind, would you mind reading, um, would you mind reading 13 and 14? Sure. Boaz took Ruth, and he, she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to, Na to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. All right, can you read 13 again, Cam? Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. Awesome. So in 13, let's just kind of piecemeal a little bit. It says that he took Ruth. Obviously, you guys know this isn't like a kidnapping thing. This is an idiom for marriage saying he put a ring on it. Well, that's kind of rude. He just he, he puts a ring around. It. That's weird. like, no, it's a it's shorthand for marriage. So he took Ruth and then it says the Lord enabled her to conceive. This is the first time since one six that the Lord has been the subject of a sentence in the book of Ruth. It's the first time since 1-6 um, that the Lord has been a present tense, like directly he's the subject. 
Like in chapter two, Boaz says, may the Lord reward your work. But like, that's like a passing blessing. This is the Lord active subject doing something, which is interesting. So, so you may want to, I don't know if you want to take a note on chapter one, verse six, but in one six, um, Sydney, could you read one six to us? Absolutely. Uh, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So notice this. In the first chapter, the Lord is the subject, and he visits the people, and he brings food. So the Lord is the subject, and it's a good, it's a good subject. He's giving. He's providing wealth for the land and food. And then at the end of the story, the Lord is the subject again, and he gives um, you know, he gives seed for the harvest and then he gives seed for the womb. So it's this internal, external, the, the book of Ruth is book ended. If that makes sense, beginning and end, the book of Ruth is book ended by the Lord graciously giving and filling that which was first empty. Remember Ty, what's the, what's the natural disaster that takes place in Ruth chapter one? What's the main problem of Ruth chapter one? There's a famine. There's a famine. There's emptiness of food. And so the Lord visits his people and brings an end to the famine, brings the food. The problem, and think about it, with, with Ruth, Ruth did not conceive. She was married to Malon for 10 years, doesn't conceive a child, an empty, barren womb. And then the Lord fills it, right? Um, so it's this idea of the Lord filling what was empty. That's, that's the theme of the book, if that makes sense, because it's at the beginning and the end. The two sentences of the book where the Lord is the direct actor is him giving, okay? Um, just as a side note, like I said, she doesn't conceive for Malon for 10 years. With Boaz, she conceives almost instantly, which seems to show that what was happening in chapter one was divine punishment for their sin. Remember, it's the time of the judges. The Lord is punishing them for their sins. And instead of Naomi and Elimelech, no, not Elimelech, sorry, that's judges. Yeah, it was Elimelech. Ha, Naomi, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion. I'm thinking of Abimelech. Anyway, long story. So instead of them leaning into God, which is the whole point. Ty, what do they do instead of leaning into God in chapter one and repenting? What do they end up doing? They tried to get away from him. They literally do. That's right, Ty. They do the opposite. They leave. And so it's punishment, right? And part of, in Deuteronomy, part of punishment for covenant breaking is childlessness. Now that doesn't carry into today. That's a long story, but it seems to suggest that what was happening in chapter one was some divine punishment in large degree. Okay. Um, so anyway, so questions on that? I know that's kind of heavy and intense, but feel free to ask questions, guys. All right. Um, Ty, while Cam is writing, Ty, can you uh, read 14? Sure. Uh, then, the woman, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. Okay. So remember we talked a couple of weeks ago, the women, this is, they're also, which is interesting because it's a reversal. They're also in Ruth chapter one. They're at the end of Ruth chapter one um, in verse 19. And the women said, is this Naomi? And Naomi says, don't call me that. Call me Mara. So again, now you've got the women here and it's this huge blessing. It's this, this huge reversal is taking place in Ruth that the Lord brings. And remember, the women, especially in Hebrew storytelling, um, the example I used in chapter one, remember in the Disney movie, Hercules, where you've got the muses who kind of sing the chorus of what's happening in the story? The, these are real people, like these women are real women, but that's, the, that's kind of, it's just an ancient storytelling technique. There's a chorus behind the action kind of narrating what's going on. So a little bit of ancient Near East storytelling for you. Um, so uh, Ty, read 14 for us one more time. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you 
uh, this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. So blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer. This redeemer is Boaz, but also the child. And he says, or they say, excuse me, may his name be made famous in Israel. Now, look up to verse 11 of chapter 4. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, um, both of whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth. Or remember, we talked about that as a, 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 a high name in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Now, let's find out. Blah, blah, sorry. What is Ephrathah? What is Ephrathah? We talked about it last week. Ty, you got it? It's uh, Bethlehem, isn't it? It's Bethlehem. It's the same, same city, okay? Same city. And remember, it's, it's just kind of repeating to make it. But they say, may your name, may this Redeemer, may you guys, may the name be famous in Bethlehem. And then notice in this verse that we're in now, 14, the women actually expand the blessing. Instead of just being famous in Bethlehem, now they're famous in, in where? They're famous in all of Israel, Right. So the name of this kinsman redeemer, so it's, it's this growing blessing. Again, the whole theme of Ruth has been this emptiness, and now it's being more and more filled and more and more full. All right, let's see here. Um, Ty, could you read 15? 15. 15. Sir, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Okay, a lot in here. He will, may he also be a restorer of life. Um, Cam, what does your version say in 15? May he also be, a re, may he also be to you a restorer of life. Does it say anything different in 15 for you? He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Yeah, I like renew a lot there. Sydney, what does yours say in 15? He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. So restore and renew your life. Now, let's think about this for a second. Think about Naomi. Don't do physical stuff here. What about Naomi's life needs to be renewed? What does that mean here? Yes, she gets food and money. And, and of course, that's I'm not downplaying that. It's phenomenally important. Think about what Naomi has been through, Cam. And explain to me what this now means that her life can be renewed and restored, but go deeper than just the physical stuff. Like she now has a husband who can care for her, but then she also has this new child that can carry on the family's name and kind of be this provider. Yeah. So, so you're absolutely right in all of that. So you took it, you took it a level. So there's physical stuff to get the, now, and remember, Boaz marries Ruth, not Naomi, right? So, so Naomi, but the same thing. I mean, your point is still correct. Naomi gets the, the provision, the physical help. She also gets the family name. She gets a new son. Let's, but what about the son? How will her life be renewed? Remember at the very beginning of chapter one, we talked about the deepest hurt that Naomi is going through, Right? this deepest pain that she's going through. She has life, like, but the thing that's being renewed about her, the deepest barrenness for Naomi is not her womb, but her soul, right? Remember at the end of chapter one, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has left me with nothing. It's this deadness of soul. It's this, it's this deep depression, this darkness in her life that has come from all the tragedy. But now there's the, the spark has been lit in her soul again. She has hope again. She has life again. She has a joy in her life that, that really wasn't there before, which should really give us a huge, you know, a, a huge reminder in our day and age of, you know, Maybe we have like my grandparent, my grandmother, her, her husband, my granddad has been passed away for a long time. And that reminds me of like how I've got to be sure I keep her in my thoughts and prayers and give her calls and stuff like that. But like, it's just a reminder of 
he will renew your life. There's a spark in Naomi's life that hasn't been there this whole time. The deepest need for her, below her physical need, below even the name continuing, is this joy, this feeling, this love, right? And now in the sun, she gets it. Um, Ty, can you read 15 again? He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. For your daughter-in-law who loves you. Notice, you don't ever hear Ruth say that, right? They don't ever say, you know, I love you and that sort of thing. Because, and this is super important. In the ancient Near East, especially in the Old Testament, love, I mean, of course, people said that they love each other, of course. But in the ancient Near East, love isn't defined in words. It's defined by deep covenantal commitment or hesed, which is the, the same word for the Lord's loving kindness and, and what Ruth talks about in, in her speech to Naomi in the beginning. Um, but that's how love, love was shown. You acted out that love. Now, of course, you spoke, you know, speaking is action, right? People who say that I'm all, I'm all about words, all right? He's, he's not about action. He's just about words. Well, let's be careful because words are action, but you get what I'm saying. So when they say, Ruth, your daughter-in-law loves you, it's been shown. I think we can all agree. This whole book is about Ruth showing her deep affection for Naomi, showing this covenantal commitment in the ugliness of life and the daily. Remember, it was several months at the end of chapter two. She doesn't, you know, Boaz sees her and then the next night she goes to the threshing floor. This was months of working in the fields and carrying stuff home and sacrificing and all these other things. That's what love is. And so especially as you guys think about deep friendships, and it's interesting too, this was Ruth's deep commitment to Naomi. Ruth is not at its heart an American love story. It's not because Ruth's deep commitment was for her mother-in-law, not for her husband, because she didn't have one. You see what I'm saying? It's not about finding your Boaz or finding your Ruth or whatever, although those are great uh, models to emulate. But the book of Ruth is about covenant love to someone else. It could be anyone else. Um, but acting that love out, be it to a husband or a wife, to parents, to friends, this deep acting this love out. You know, there's that great line. I haven't seen it yet, Ty, but there's that great line in the movie Tenet where, the, but where they talk about, you know, everyone says they'd run into the burning building. What's the line, Ty? Everyone says they'd run into the burning building, but until, remember what he says? I can't even remember. <laughs> but he says, but it, it, well, it's who knows when in the movie that was, right? But, but until you actually feel that heat, no one, you don't actually know if you do it. You know what I'm saying? And in the same way, it's easy to say that we love people, but until we actually feel that strain and that pull, this is why marriage is so awesome, because marriage is a covenant that gives you space to lean into the difficult times. Dating, you, you can just bail when things are hard, and sometimes that's okay, but marriage is you're stuck in this, and it's actually a good thing because it makes you commit to leaning into the difficulty. Anyway, all right, end of sermon. Um, last little thing, one of the last little things, Leviticus 19.34. Leviticus 19.34. Moses tells the Israelites that you have to love the stranger as you love yourself. But ironically, it's this stranger from Moab that shows the Israelites what this really means. See what I'm saying? Leviticus 19.34, Moses tells the Israelites to love the stranger as yourself, but it's this stranger who shows the Israelites what this really means. Um, Ty, one last time, read verse 15. Sorry, I forgot I was muted. <laughs> oh, no um, worries. 
He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age to, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Sydney, do you remember what the number seven conveys in biblical literature? Completeness. Completeness or perfection, right? So she's, these women are blessing Naomi saying that Ruth is a better gift to you than the perfect son or than the perfect amount of sons. Now think about this too. Think about it just literally. Seven sons, especially in that time frame, would have taken care of everything. Think about, I mean, that, there's your workforce, there's your harvest, there's your protection, there's your income. Seven incomes? Seven people protecting you, seven people working the field. But think about it. These seven men would also get married and, and the wife would keep the husband's name, which means you would have seven times the amount of your name continuing. All, it would spread throughout the whole country. It would be, your name would literally be throughout the whole country seven times over. And they're saying, Ruth has done that for you. Ruth has caused, will cause your name and the name of your family to explode across the country. And we know that's true because one, King David, I mean, everyone knows David even today, but two, Jesus's name. What does the Bible say? Jesus has a name that is what? Above every other name. Now, that's not, I don't think the, the narrator is thinking specifically of Ruth, but it's the same heart of things. I mean, Ruth's kindness and Boaz's commitment have led to a, I mean, think about that. Naomi didn't have a name that was going to continue. And now, literally, the name of her family through Jesus Christ, his name is going to be shouted from the rooftops for the rest of history. He has given her a name that if she knew the, the weight of it, it would, it would topple her over. This is the, think about, think about Ruth being sent home with, so, with more grain on her back than she could carry. That's what God has done for Naomi's name. God has taken the whole field and tipped it over on her. This is the massive blessing that she's going to get. Um, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. This, this mighty name of, day, of King David, but also Jesus. Um, that's what Ruth has done for Naomi. It will be a name more than seven normal kids could ever have produced. Um, Cam, can you read 16? Um, Naomi, oh, where do you know? Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. Oh, yours says nanny? Nice. The commentary yeah. I was looking at says nanny as well. Mine says nurse. Uh, Ty, what does yours say? And Sydney as well. In 16? Mine's, mine's nurse. Mine's nurse. Okay, it's it's grandmother. It's 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 the idea of grandmother. Cam, what version are you reading from? I think I've asked you this before. Oh, it should be on the spine. New what now? The Christian standard. Oh, not good for you, CSB. Good for you. Um, so listen, then Naomi took the child and laid him on the lap, became his nurse. They, duh. Of course, that's what you get there. Now, now listen. There is no reason to put this in the book. Does that make sense? This is implied. There's no reason to put this in the book unless you need to take a second and celebrate what's happened to Naomi. Does that make sense? We don't learn anything new from this. We don't gain anything. But this, what we do in the sense that this is a chance for us to take a second and look at, if you were going to, okay, okay. If you were going to create a statue that represented the book of Ruth, this would be a good candidate for a statue. Naomi having her young son, her young grandson in her lap, because that statue tells us everything we need to know about what God does for Naomi in the book, right? The mercy and the generosity that God has shown. This isn't some legal action taking place of then she became his rightful blah, blah, blah. No, this is the natural action of Naomi fully accepting her role as a grandmother. And think about it. She's, she the, laid him in her lap. Does anyone have a different word from lap? Everybody's got lap. That's what mine has too. 
it literally is is just the front of a woman or man's body. It's like the the bosom, basically, the the closest form of intimacy. So it's not just she plays with the kid in her lap. No, it's it means. I mean, think about it. She's gone from having nothing to being totally taken care of, and she gets this child to be intimate with. It's just a beautiful picture of what's happened for Naomi. Sydney, can you read 17? Sure. And the women of the neighborhood gave, gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. <gasps> okay, so um, this is this is super important. So let's let's back us up a few things. This is cool. I learned this in the commentary. This is the only scene in the whole Old Testament, the whole Old Testament, thirty nine books, where a group of females, besides just the mom, are mentioned at a naming event. This is the only scene in the whole Old Testament where a group of women, besides the mom, are present at a naming event. Now, um, now Boaz and, and Ruth named the kid. Okay, this isn't the women didn't like overrun them and say, no, you're going to name him this. But this is this. He's making a point. You know, I mean, you think about it. This is a testament. Again, this is the testament to what happens when when godly women obey Christianity was we learn in ancient Christianity at the time of the New Testament church, when like Acts and Romans, et cetera, was two-thirds women. Two-thirds women, which one is probably why it was so successful, for being honest, right? But also, that, that's it's a huge statement to the role that, I don't know exactly what he's saying here, but it's a huge statement to the role that women are playing in this story of redemptive history in a male-dominated society. And I don't necessarily mean male-dominated as a bad thing. I just mean the men are the movers and shakers in the society. But look at the role that these women are playing. They're the ones who are, who are making the impact. Look at what the Lord is doing. Um, and, and, you know, through Ruth's work and Naomi's planning, that's what gets the marriage thing going, right? Um, and also notice how this verse is repetitive to build anticipation for the name. Um, let's go, Ty, can you read, uh, 17? Yep. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Notice how it gets repetitive. They, they gave him a name saying his son has been born in there, and they named him. So it's, it's building this anticipation for what he's going to be named. And they name him Obed. Um, so, so notice again, it slows down to build the anticipation that it's going to be Obed. Pro probably part of what's going on here is remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I don't know if all of you were here for this. I, I don't know if I'm going to go all the way back and explain this, but I probably will just because it's me. Um, judges is a, is, is, all of it actually happened, but the book of Judges is an indictment against King Saul. The book of Judges is a horrible book where it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And it ends, the book climaxes with this horrible gang sexual assault of this woman from the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin causes all this chaos. Guess who's from the tribe of Benjamin? Saul. And so it's like saying, look at what you're from. This is what you come from. The book of Ruth is about God's, remember it bookended with God filling and blessing and restoring Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah. Who's from the tribe of Judah? King David. So see how there's a, there's a meta thing going on here that sh that's, it's, it's painting a picture to the Israelite people of how awful King Saul is. Look at what he comes from. How wonderful King David is. Look at his line. Look at who he comes from. So people reading this would see Obed and they would say, oh my gosh, Obed's the grandfather of King David. This is where he comes from? Oh my gosh. So you see what's happening here? Obed, by the way, means to serve. Names in Hebrew are huge. 
Obed means to serve, which is important because this child will now serve Naomi and Ruth in their old age, not in a slave way, but just he's going to take care of them. He's going to give them security. He's going to protect them. Now here, let's go a step further. This one's for free. The root of the word Obed can mean to work or till the ground, the soil, which is ironic because how did the book of Ruth start? With a famine. With, and the whole theme of Ruth is barrenness, emptiness, lack of. And now one is born to Ruth and Naomi, who is a worker of the ground, a, a bringer of life from the ground, right? All right. Um, Sydney, can you read uh, 17 again? Sure. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The father of Jesse, the father of David. <laughs> Nobody writes about Obed, right? And, and I'm sure he doesn't mind. Nobody writes about Obed because Obed isn't the point here. Now think about it. It's been leading up to this child, Obed. Wouldn't you want to know more about what he does? But Obed's not the point. This verse really shows that the ultimate point of the book is to point to King David. The readers of this book would know King David and they would love King David. And it shows his righteous roots, where he comes from. And also, we talked about this already. Notice and remember the theme of Ruth is about the continuation of the name. And this is cool because it's not really Obed who does anything, but his children, Jesse and David. The it's, the, it's not Obed who does it, it's David. It's not Obed who does anything, it's the continuation of Obed in David who does things. And that's the whole point of Ruth. It's, the, it's about the continuation. It's the fullest descendant you could ever ask for, a blessing beyond anything Ruth and Naomi ever saw. Not that they didn't see the see blessing, but but what what happened? What God was doing? You you just would they they could never fathom this. Now, what if the difficulty in your life right now, the heartbreak, the difficult situation in your life right now, God is working a reality in it that you could never dream of. You just can't see it yet. Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and Obed, well, maybe Obed, but Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, they never saw King David come to the throne. They had no idea that, that what God was doing through this difficult, crazy season of their life. And in the same way, I think it's totally, I would even say it's definite that God is doing things in the difficult season of your life, listen, that you may never get to see. And that's okay. Because he, because remember, it's not about, and I know this sounds stupid, but I, I, it's not about us. Because we think, God, what could you be doing in this season of my life? I don't see any good coming out of it. Go back to Ruth. He was going to, he, the world still is changed because of King David and way more than David. David leads to Jesus. Jesus is from the root of King David. And, and, and you better believe Ruth and Naomi and Boaz now know who Jesus is and they get to see this. But in the moment, in their lifetime, they never actually saw what was going to happen. God is doing things. God, what could you be doing? Well, there's a beautiful line. Have you guys ever read Narnia? You know what I'm talking about? Line the Wetsworth? You definitely should. If not, I would at least audiobook it. I mean, it's a quick read. The third one in the series, which is probably my least favorite, but it's got one of my favorite lines. It's called The Horse and His Boy. And at the end of the story, Aslan, the lion, who represents Jesus, um, he says to one of the characters, one of the characters asks, well, what happens to her? What happens to her? And Aslan, who's Jesus, says, 
no one knows anyone's story but his own. You don't get to see all the other stories that are taking place in people's lives. You only get to see your own. And we have to remember that God sees how it all fits together. He sees the whole board. He sees the whole future of the board. And that's what he's working on during your life, right? So remember that. And remember that God is working a blessing and a goodness and a beauty through the craziness in your life that you may never see. And that's okay. And you can run to God with that and take comfort in that. And I don't know. It's just a tremendous lesson. Questions on that before we get to the closing section? Good to go? Okay. Cam, if you wouldn't mind closing us out, can you do 18 through 22? Sure. Now these words. (laughs) (laughs) Now these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nation. That's fine. Um, Hashem fathered Salmon. I think Salmon. I've never really gotten. I think it is what we never learn anything about him anyway. So I, he's good. He's in heaven. He's he's hanging out. (laughs) Um, Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Good. Okay. So a couple things here. Number one, don't ever skip the genealogies in your Bible. Don't ever skip them because we just like, oh, it's a list of names. But take a second and lean in and see what you can find in the genealogy. They're, they're always there for a reason. You know, in America, our literature doesn't work this way. We, a list is just a list, right? But the list tells us something. And it was always for a reason in Old Testament and New Testament literature. So here's a couple things that's going on here. Um, Perez, okay, Perez, we've seen Perez before, um, Perez is in Ruth 4.12, Ruth 4.12, Perez is the son of Judah, okay, tribe of Judah, same guy, remember Tamar, um, Judah's daughter-in-law, she has no children, she has no heirs, so she tempts Judah to sleep with her, it was really Judah's fault, but Tamar's not exactly blameless either, but it was kind of a perverted leveret marriage. The next person steps in to fill the family line. So that might be part of why we start here. Judah is the blessed line by Jacob in Genesis 49. And everyone would know that Perez comes from Judah. Okay. Um, Perez is Judah's son. So it's, it might be that they're doing this for a couple. Why, why start with Perez? Why not start with Judah, the dad of Perez? He's awesome. A couple of reasons, possibly. One, Perez is, is a child based on this, remember a leveret marriage is when the husband dies, so the next of kin steps in. That's what Boaz did. Perez was born from this weird leveret thing. So that might be why they started there, to keep this leveret thing going, okay? Does that make sense? The other thing is in gene, genealogies, 10 is a big number, especially in Genesis when listing genealogies. If you do Judah, it goes up to 11, so you miss the point, if that makes sense. Also, Boaz, if Judah, excuse me, if they start with Perez, let's go through it. Someone tell me, what number in line, if Perez is one, what number in line is Boaz in this genealogy? Someone tell me. Seven. Seven. First of all, very impressive, Sydney. But he's, so that makes Boaz the seventh in line. Again, Seven is a huge number in the Bible. It would have been seven was Elimelech or Malon who left the land of promise and was terrible, but instead the seventh is Boaz who changes the whole trajectory of the family line. See what I mean? Um, Now, here's another thing that I think is super important, and then we'll close out with the big theme. Okay, Cam's version was really good. It said he, Perez, fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nishant. This word fathered, mine says was born, 
What do y'all say, Sydney and Ty and 18 and 19? Gracie, you're welcome to jump in here, but I can't see you. So I'm, I'm assuming you're just listening, which is perfectly fine. Um, but Sydney and Ty, what do you guys have? I have fathered. Father. Father. That's good. Mine is the only one that is, it's not wrong. It's just, here's why this is important. This word for fathered in the Old Testament is, is the same word as to have a child or to become pregnant. With a woman, it's, it's a yalad, to become pregnant. It's passive. Like the woman can't just try really hard and become pregnant. You see what I'm saying? She's passive in the, in the pregnancy. Does that make sense? You guys following me here? She's, she, it just happens to her. The man, it's holid. He makes her pregnant. Does that make sense? You follow that? Here's why this is important. The same word for to impregnate in Hebrew is the same word that means to father. Meaning in the Hebrew mind, if you're going to impregnate someone, you're also going to be the father of that child. It's the same word. It's assumed that if the person gets the woman pregnant, he's going to be the father of the child, which, plays, which is a huge argument as to why the Bible does not support abortion. Because in, ancient, in the ancient mind, think about it, in the ancient mind, if the same word for impregnate means to father, you can't father a kid if there's no kid. Does that make sense? I mean, it, it, it's logic. You can't do it uh, unless you're just, unless something is very strange, right? You can't, so, so to become pregnant in Hebrew culture, there wasn't even a word. For, now, obviously there were stillborns and miscarriages and that, that's different. That's totally different. But think about that. If the same word to impregnate means to fathered, Israelites already assumed that if this guy gets the girl pregnant, he's going to father the child. So this may be something you can use to talk with your friends about. Well, because because people will say the Bible's against abortion. Okay, fine. Show me where. Uh, and no one knows, right? Psalm 139 is huge. Exodus 20 is huge. But also, um, this section of Ruth is so cool because to father the child is the same word as to make someone pregnant with child. Does that make sense? y'all follow that? Let me be sure that that Exodus 20 reference was right. I saw a couple of you guys writing that down. It's either Exodus 20 or Exodus 22. I want to be sure. Exodus 20. Okay. Exodus 22. It might be 22. Um, I can't find it right now, but I will look that up as soon as we are out of here. I really just want to be sure. Come on, I know it's in here. Anyway, I'll find it and then I'll I'll send it to you guys. It's definitely in there. Okay, last last thing. Um, remember, someone tell me, Cam, what book does Ruth take place during? Judges. Judges. In the book of Judges, there was no king in Israel, right? Which is a huge reminder of David. This is why David is so huge. Because a king is the standard bearer. The king sets the tone for truth. Uh, the king tells you what's right and wrong because the king is God's representative to the people. Okay? That's, having a king is huge. In Judges, it says there was no king in Israel, so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Which shows, one, you guys have probably heard the term moral relativism. Whatever's right for you is right for you. This isn't a new thing. This happened in the book of Judges, and it was a disaster. There was no standard of truth, right? But in the dark days of the Judges, ju the Lord would raise up rulers or judges. They weren't kings, but they were more like warlords or gang leaders. It was very, it was not good. Um, some of them were good, but very few. And they would rule Israel. In the dark days of the Judges, Ruth shows us that true deliverance doesn't come through heroic strongman acts of kings and rulers, but by God's good hand 
working through ordinary, faithful obedience of ordinary people. I know that was a mouthful. So I'm actually just going to copy this and text it to all you guys real quick. So tie, and then I'll explain a little bit because I think it, it ties directly into what's going on today in our culture. Um, and I really think it's super helpful. And then Gracie, okay. I just sent it to you guys to be a text message. So here, let me read it again and then let me explain what I'm saying and then we'll be done. In the dark days of the judges, this book shows, Ruth shows that true deliverance doesn't come through heroic strongman acts of kings and rulers, but by God's good hand, working and blessing his people's ordinary faithful obedience. Now, good kings, obviously King David, I think Hezekiah was a good king. They, of course, make a difference. But here's my point. It is an election year, right? And everyone is saying, if we can just get Trump one more year, it'll fix it. If we, and everyone else is saying, if we can just get Trump out of here, it'll fix everything. And look at this, look at the time of the judges. If we can, and in the days of the judges, if we could just get the next judge, if the next judge would just deliver us from this evil, then everything will be fixed. And it got worse and worse and worse. I don't know if you can relate, right? The only thing that finally fixed it fixed it, was God working through ordinary obedience of his people. And that's the only thing that's going to fix things today. We could, I don't even know, Trump and Biden could both be, uh, I'm not going to say killed because that's ridiculously morbid. They could both be, you could find out that they're both robots and they both are turned off. And so now they can't be president. And the perfect candidate just comes out of nowhere and we vote that candidate in, that's still not going to fix everything. In no way will that fix everything because it was never designed that way. Uh, I'm reading about how the Civil War, you know, Black people were lynched in the North during the Civil War, in the North. Wars don't change people's hearts. Elections don't change people's hearts. And this isn't just a race thing, though that's part of it. But I think you guys are tracking Judges was all about the big picture, the rulers and the wars and the, and the intense battles and the backstabbing and the murder and the Game of Thrones-like corruption of it all. Ruth is about two people on a farm in the middle of a small town of Bethlehem, and their obedience is what God used to literally impact the rest of the planet. And it's the same thing today. We can't put our hope in the next judge. Um, not that presidents are warlords, but we have a king, King Jesus. In those days in America, there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's exactly what's happening today, right? We have a king. We have King Jesus who has changed everything and who will, and the world will only change when we follow him. Now, that's not saying you, you, have, you have to plug out, you have to unplug from politics. I think we do need to be involved. Um, but you guys get what I'm saying. Where is our hope? Where do we really, you know, it, anyway, end of sermon. Does that make sense? You guys follow that? Also, one last little, Thing here in the family line, you see Obed, Obed is listed as the son of Boaz, not of Malon. Remember, Boaz was supposed to replace that family. He, it's not about Boaz. Boaz is to continue Malon's family name. Does that make sense? The kinsman redeemer marries the woman and then continues the family line of the person who's died. It's a sacrifice. So why does the family line list Boaz as the dad of Obed instead of Malon? It's to show that Jesus's line is not ultimately a line of blood, but a line of love and obedience. You see what I'm saying? That Remember, remember in the New Testament when they say, um, your, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus says, my mother and brothers are the ones who, who hear my word and obey it. That's Jesus's family. 
I think that's a huge part of why Boaz is listed here and not Malon. Even though Malon's name was supposed to continue, the, the author realizes Boaz is the one who was obedient and faithful. And that's where David comes from. And more importantly, that's where Jesus comes from. And with that, we are done with the book of Ruth. You guys have done an awesome job. This was baller. Um, so here's where we're going in the next couple of weeks. Next week, we're going to meet again. And uh, it's the last Thursday of November. And we're going to go through Ruth. Just it's like a quick jet tour because I know like some of you guys were here a few weeks and you missed, you may have missed a couple. Um, and some of you may just want to go back. And, and, and again, it's just going to be a quick chapter one. Here's some points. Two, here's some points. I definitely encourage you to be here. Don't think like, oh, well, I heard it all. Like, I don't need to go. Like, I, I would come. A lot of times there, there are unique blessings in those. And come with questions. If you have questions, let's chat about it. And let's just dig into Ruth a little bit. Um, after that, the first Thursday of the month of November will be our Nerf War. If you guys are here, please come. It's going to be off the chain. It's going to be so much fun. And then we have two more Thursdays together. What I'm probably going to do is we'll go through a psalm each week, okay? And that'll bring us to Thanksgiving, and we'll take um, the rest of the time. We'll take the holidays and December off on Thursdays. Does that make sense? Everybody on the same page? Does that work? Cool. Ty, can you press out and we'll be done? Sure thing. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for the message we received, and uh, we thank you for the helpful reminder that you can sometimes bend things to your will, even even in times of suffering or uh, just in bad times, Lord, you can bring things uh, back to uh, just to be good with your will, Lord. Um, we just thank you so much for this time, and it's been a blessing for each of us. We, uh, I pray that each of these students, we can just dig into your word each and every day and, and just continue to learn more and just grow our hearts closer to you, Lord. We ask that you uh, look out for us as we go uh, into the end of the week and throughout the weekend and just uh, bring us back to class next week, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Don't forget, gentle and lowly, game changer. It's so phenomenal. Text me if you want it and I'll get it to you for free. Cool. All right. Love you guys and see you hopefully Sunday, but if not next week. Bye.